I think you thought you were done with me a few weeks ago. <laughs> Pastor Jenny showed up. Aaron went away. No, I, I, they asked me to come back. I don't know why. I mean, we got plenty of qualified people around here, but they asked me if I'd come back. And I said, you know what? I'll do whatever, whatever the Lord wants me to do. And so this week I was, I was praying and actually last Sunday I was sitting in the tech booth and thinking, Lord, what, what do you want me to share? Zion. I don't know what to say. We're not really in a series. We're not really quite going with Pastor Jenny yet. And if you haven't figured out, I'm not Pastor Jenny. She's not quite this tall. And she has a few more hairs on her head than I have. So um, that's okay. Uh, I think that means that she's better looking, but that's okay. Um, the Lord still uses people who don't have hair. So I see a few of you who that's probably good news to this morning. So we seem to go to the same barber. But anyway... I, I, this, the Lord gave me a, a passage last week, and I thought, Lord, that wouldn't be what I picked if you gave me an option, because the Lord led me to a book that, um, well, it's just not easy to preach from. It's the book of Micah. How, how long has it been since you heard a sermon from the book of Micah? It's probably been a minute or two since you heard a, a sermon from the book of Micah, but just felt impressed last, last Sunday as I was sitting in worship, and then this week. Uh, that this is what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. But before we dive into that, I want to uh, invite you this morning to, uh, remi to remind you rather of a, a, a show, a game show many years ago. Some of you may be old enough to remember, others of you may not. A few years ago, there was a great game show by the name of Name That Tune. Anybody remember Name That Tune? If you don't remember, there was contestants who were, uh, were, were arguing back and forth, kind of bidding back and forth, if you will, about how many notes they could name a tune in by just hearing one or two, maybe three of those notes. And it was a challenge to hear just a couple of notes and then tell you what it was. I, I, I want to play Name That Tune with you for just a moment this morning. I'm going to ask my wife back there to play just a couple of seconds of this first one. There's a bit of a delay, so it's not on her, it's on the, on the recording. So uh, just, just a couple of seconds and then stop it, and I want to see if anybody knows what it is. Stop it. Anybody have any idea what we're, what we're listening to? If you, you know, you can't, that's cheating. Yes. <laughs> Close, no? Anybody else? All right, let's give you a few more seconds. I'll give you a hint. This was from a TV theme show. Give it to us again, Chen. Who said it? That's right, yeah. The People's Court. For, for those of you who don't remember, good job, by the way. For those of you who don't remember, it might have sounded a little more like this. Go, go to clip number two. What you are witnessing is real. The participants are not actors. Anybody remember this? litigants with a case pending in a California municipal court. Both parties have agreed to dismiss their court cases. Every afternoon in the summer that I spent with my grandmother, People's Court was on television. And that theme song sort of rattled in my head for years. It's actually a full song. The, the first recording is the actual full song. It's called The Big One. Is the name of the song, and it is a really cool song that they've taken and, like a lot of things they do in television, used it for something completely different than what it was meant for. You see, I, I'm pretty convinced that our culture is, is obsessed with court shows, 
According to Wikipedia, there's over 30 court shows, most of them starting with Judge something, right? Judge Mathis, Judge Judy, right? You probably name a whole bunch of them. And that doesn't even count the ones that are the television dramas of court, like Law and Order. Anybody seen Law and Order? There might be a few episodes out there. And there might be a few spinoffs of those episodes out there. We are a culture that is absolutely enamored with court. Anybody ever been to court? You, it's okay. You, can, you don't have to raise your hand. I've been there on three occasions. Once I was the jury, and I didn't care for it. We were arguing over how much money a guy should be paid for a piece of property. And I was bored. I'd rather gone to work, thank you, but did my civic duty. I, I once was a witness to something And I was okay with that. It wasn't great, but I had to show up and make some testimony or give some testimony about what I had witnessed and what I had observed. And then the third one was on me. Now, I didn't like that one. It was a a traffic fine that um, I wanted to fight. And, um, you know, I, I found out that police officers are human too during that. I made a mistake. He made a mistake. I told the judge I didn't think it was fair that he got away with his mistake and I had to pay for mine. The city attorney agreed with me and asked the judge to dismiss it. All was good. I don't want to go back to court. Don't like it. But this morning, the scripture that we have is really a court scene, if you will. It's a scene of Israel being called into court by Almighty God And the charge is this, you have been unfaithful to the covenant agreement that we had. Remember, being a prophet in the Old Testament was not so much about telling the future. No no, no, no prophets had crystal balls that they could look into the future. Really, being a prophet in the Old Testament was more about being a social commentator of the day, if you will. Hearing from the Lord and reporting back to the people the distress that's on the Lord's heart. God calls these men and women to to really listen to what he has to say and then give commentary about how the people of God are living. So this morning, I want to direct our attention to Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And I'm not going to ask you this morning because of the way I'm preaching to stand, but I I want you, if you have your Bible, just to open it to Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8 this morning. Here's the word of the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. Do you already hear the ominous music beginning to play in the background? Uh Uh-oh. This is not good. Israel's been called into court and it says to the mountains, listen, the foundations of the earth, hear what the Lord has to say, for he has a charge that he's lodging against his people. Israel's in trouble and Micah is reporting to them, pleading God's case before them. And creation is, in a way, the judge here. The jury is really God. But God is also the prosecutor, if you will. Here's his case, verse 3. My people, 
What have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. God is presenting his case saying, what have I done that you would treat me so disrespectfully? What have I done that you would treat me with such disdain? How have I harmed you? Look at all the things I've done for you. How have I burdened you? The Hebrew word here might best be translated, what have I done to weary you? What have I done to warn you down, to wear you down so that you would do these crazy things against me? The Lord rehearses this tiny fraction of what he's done for the people. I was good to you, he says. Remember, remember you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember, you were crying out because your taskmasters were so heavy-handed with you. Remember, I brought you out of slavery. You were once not a people just a scattered bunch, but I brought you together. I made you my people. You were once nothing, and look what I've done for you. You didn't have any way of getting out of the mess that you got yourselves into, but I rescued you from the hands of the oppressors. That enough, that by itself ought to be enough, but he continues. Not only that, not only did I save you from your mess, I brought you out from, among, out from among you leaders like Moses and Aaron and Miriam, those who would shepherd you and lead you through some very rough times, 40 years in the wilderness because of your unfaithfulness, but I still brought you leaders, and I was faithful to you throughout. Look at what others meant for evil. You know, remember King Balak his intended curse upon you. And I changed the heart of the one he called and gave you a blessing through Balaam's mouth. Remember the journey in the wilderness and how I delivered you into a land, a land that I had promised long ago. You had no place to call home, but I gave you a place. I did all of this, God says, so that you could see my righteousness. This is just a fraction this is just a fraction of what God has done, right? You can think of stories this morning that he didn't even mention. He just mentioned three little events. And God is saying, listen, Israel, why have you done this thing? The implication is this. Look what I've done for you. Why do you treat me with such disrespect? Why do you turn your back on me? You live in any old way you want. No, Israel, you are guilty of not holding up your end of the bargain. You're not, you were once not a people, but I've called you to be my people, and yet you continue to be unfaithful to me. You know what I think God sounds like here? A mama? I can just hear a mother saying, Oh, child of mine, how dare you disrespect me? How dare you disrespect your mother like this? Listen, 
I nursed you. I raised you. I cooked for you. I cleaned your clothes. I bathed you. I did everything for you. And this is the way you treat your mother? Can you hear her? It's almost as what God's saying. Listen, I did all these things for you, and you treat me with such disrespect. Can you hear the irritation in God's voice? How are you going to treat me like that? That's not fair. That's not the way this was supposed to work. I've done so much for you, and this is how you treat me? Throughout the Old Testament, there's a phrase that happens over and over and over. I didn't go through and count it this week, forgive me. But you know, I think one of the most repeated words in the entire Old Testament is remember. Every time we turn around, remember, 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 remember. One time he even says, remember and do not forget, as if remember wasn't enough. Because you know what? We're a forgetful people. Israel's a forgetful people. Remember what I, what I did for you, God says, and they said, oh, what have you done for me lately? Huh. You know what? Israel's guilty. You're going to love their defense. You know what their defense is? I'll give it to you. Ready? That's it. What do you say when Almighty God says you've been unfaithful and he points out how you've been unfaithful and you go, hey. he's right. He's right. He's right. You know what Israel wants to know? Catch this. Verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Whoa. You know, I, I think if we're not careful here, this sounds like almost mockery. God, what, what, what do you want from us? We do all these crazy things. What do you want from us? You want to, if we brought you 10,000, that wouldn't be enough. I don't think that's the spirit here. I think the spirit is this. God, we're desperate. We know we're guilty. Lord, what would make this right? It sounds like to me desperation from the people. What Lord, what do you want? What, what, how do I make this right? How do I fix this? How do I get it right with you? What is it you want? I'll give you anything. Even the thing that you told us you would never want, Lord. Our firstborn child. There's no excuses. No defenses. No responses to what God has accused them of. Israel's attitude is, we're guilty. Lord, we're guilty. I mean, honestly, what do you say before all God, Almighty God? You see, I, I, I believe that God's saying to them, you are guilty. But I don't know what to do, Lord. How do I make this right? I've been unfaithful. How do I, how do I get this right? How do I fix this? 
Catch this verse. It, it, it's probably the most known verse in the book of Micah, for sure. Maybe even one of the most known in the entire Old Testament. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is the most famous part of all of Micah. What is required? Act justly. Love mercy. Humbly walk. Do you get a sense that God's had enough with the games? That God's had enough and he needs something new? He wants something new? He's calling for something new in the lives of the people? Micah lives about the same time as the prophet Isaiah. And it's an interesting parallel if you put Micah 6 against Isaiah 1. God, again, is making a case against the unfaithfulness of Israel in in Isaiah 1. He's had enough, and he's tired of all the things that Israel is doing wrong. And even when they attempt to get it right, they get it wrong. Anybody ever been there before? Ever have one of those days? No matter how hard I try to get it right, it's wrong. Let me just read you a snippet from Isaiah 1. This is what the Lord says. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? I have no, I've had more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless gifts. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Wow. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. They have become a burden to me, God says. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. you. Even when you offer your prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Your hands are full of blood. You are guilty, Israel. God's made it clear. Stop going through the motions. Stop pretending you're a faithful partner. I don't need all these burnt offerings. I need you. I don't need all the celebrations that you have. I I don't need you merely to appease me. I want you to do what is right and live in faithful covenant with me, God says. Learn to do right, the book of Isaiah says, the 17th verse of chapter 1. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Wait. Yeah, I'm still in Isaiah chapter 1. Huh? I haven't flipped back to Micah 6. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Do you think God's serious in his message? I don't know about you, but it sounds a lot like Micah chapter 6. It sounds a lot like 
Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly before your God. Act justly. By the way, anyone in the room ever try to translate Hebrew? I took two classes. Not two semesters, two classes. I said, I'm done. It looks nothing like letters to me. I'll never catch this. I had three semesters of Greek, but zero of Hebrew. And no, thank you. I'm, I, I no. It's a little bit hard to translate sometimes. The NIV says, act justly. It might better be translated, do justice. It's action verbs. Do justice. It's not just a call to, to celebrate justice or to, to seek justice. It, it really is about doing justice in our lives and standing with the oppressed so that justice would be done on their behalf. The call is to actively engage in making the world a place where people are treated kindly, respectfully, loved, and accepted. We should all get a chance to live on a level playing field. Do justice. Act justly. Love mercy. <clears throat> it's not merely given a sense to, that mercy is a good thing. It's not even just be merciful towards others in your own life. It's not celebrate the concept of mercy publicly. It's live a life that's always extending grace to others. We should first extend mercy and love and grace. Why? Because mercy and grace and love has been shown to us. Do justice. Intensely love and live mercy. And walk humbly with your God. What does it mean to walk humbly? You see, in this relationship with God, God wants us to remind us where we are, what position we have, what, what, where we are. We are marked as his people. We are called to be his people, but in our proper position. You see, the truth is we're broken creation, church. It's only because of Almighty God and what he's done that we can even be here this morning. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, and nothing we can do would ever earn it. It's by God's grace. And God wants to remind us that we're the created. We are his people, his children, his creation, the one he desperately loves. But make no mistake, he is God. We're not to be the pilots of our life. He, we're to be the co-pilots. He's to be the pilot. We're not supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be the leader. He's in charge. Walk humbly means this, that I give God his due and I say, God, I surrender to who you are. Can I tell you, it didn't take the jury very long. It didn't take the jury very long. They weren't out deliberating very long. When you don't even give a defense in your own to, to your own case, it didn't take the jury long to say, Israel, you're guilty. You're guilty. God is right. 
God's proved his case thoroughly and completely. He's held up his end of the bargain. He mentioned three examples out of I don't know how many. Many, 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 many. Israel. Yeah. You know, if I just quit here, we could all walk out of here and say, Israel, what were they thinking? But I want to ask you a question this morning. I have to wonder this morning, when that case, if it was made against us, how would we measure up? When God brings before the court of nature the church of Jesus Christ in 2023, what will be our defense? What will we say? How will we plead? How will you respond? You see, this morning, the truth is, and I hope we're not too proud to admit it to ourselves and to one another, the truth is, the only thing we have to plead is guilty. Guilty. There's no need for a trial. Guilty. I did it. You see, the church has gotten really good about asking the question, what do I do to get to heaven? Or as in the words of the rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But I think if I'm being honest, the church doesn't really like the answer. Do you remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Go, sell all your possessions to the poor, and then come and follow me. Do justice. Love mercy, walk humbly. The implied indictment against Israel and the rich young ruler is that you haven't been doing the right things, but you have been doing all the things that I have prescribed to you, but your heart is not in the right place. You are broken. You have offered the sacrifices. You have followed the laws, but your heart is not right. In Micah's day, and the implication is with the rich young ruler by his name, that they hadn't gotten rich by cheating others, by being dishonest, by ill-gotten gains. And God is calling the people in Israel's day, and calling the church in Jesus' day, and I believe calling the church today to be people who are honest and fair and upright. You see, I believe the church this morning is broken. We are called by God to be a light in the world. Our behavior ought to look differently. Our lifestyle ought to be different. They ought to say about the church, look at those Christians. They do odd things. Why do they live in such ways? Let's go figure it out. But I think sometimes the church is gotten it twisted, and we want to be more like the world than we want to be like God. Because you know what? It's uncomfortable to live a godly life in a world like this. And so when God says to us, how do you plead? The only answer we have is guilty. But the question is this. How do we get it back in perspective? How do we fix this problem that we've got? 
humbly walking with our God. Do you know the one place that we're all on a level playing field? The foot of the cross. And you know what I know about the foot of the cross and what it says about our heart and soul? Every last one of us is guilty. Every last one of us is guilty. You see, over these weeks between pastoral transitions, there's been a variety of us up here, uh, Stephanie and Greg and Kevin and myself and some other folks scattered in. But you know what? It's not because we are up here because we've got it all right, that we've got it all figured out, or that we know everything there is to know. You see, God's still talking to us and growing us and making us more like him. You see, the only chance that we have of saying not guilty is what Christ did on Calvary's cross for us. It has nothing to do with us. Those standing up here are not more qualified than you when it comes to standing before Christ. We're just as guilty. The only thing that makes any of us right before God, the only thing that can make us right before God is the grace and mercy given to us on the cross of Calvary by Jesus and what he did for us. You see, we're all guilty. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, what Christ did changes all of that. But you know what? I don't think it takes away our responsibility to do justice to love wholeheartedly mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You see, that's just the first part. Because when we take a moment to realize God is the Lord, he is head, he's the one in charge, and we're the co-pilot. He has called us and given us a case against our own guiltiness. He has given us justice. He, he, he said to us, you are guilty, and we've had to say, you're right. But then he answered it for us. But look what Jesus is doing for you. As the worship team comes, I, I just want to leave you with this question. What do we do in response? What should we do about that? What should we, as the people of God in 2023, be doing to make sure that we get this right? I think the Apostle Paul gives us the best help when it comes to this. I'm going to read the NIV, and then I want to, I'll show you a second translation, but I want you to hear it this way first. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is humbly walking 
with our God. A few years ago, it's been several years ago now, Eugene Peterson came out with a, not a translation, a, a paraphrase, if you will. And I was captured by what he, how he translated this, how he formed these two verses in the 12th chapter of Romans. He says it this way. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as your offering. Embrace what God does for you as the best you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God. Church, I challenge you this morning, fix your attention on God. And then you'll be chained from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best in you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Church, church, that's our reasonable offering. You want to make this right between you and God? God's sick of burnt offerings. He's had enough of butchered animals. He doesn't need rivers of oil. He doesn't want our firstborn. You know what he wants? Our hearts. Our loyalty. Our love. He wants a surrendered life given to him. That's what he wants. All week I've wrestled with how I might close this morning. In this moment, here's what I feel led. Would you just take a moment and bow your head right where you are and ask the Lord to speak to you. Maybe there's some here this morning that need to surrender. Maybe it would be your first time to surrender completely to God. Lord, have everything. Lord, take it all. Everything I have, everything I own, everything that's mine, Lord, anything I can claim, it's yours. My guess is in a crowd this size, there's some folks who have made that commitment and a little bit like the preacher this morning, have at times tried to worm my way back in. And I'll take that back, Lord, and I'll take that back. And maybe you need to say this morning, God, everything I have, I surrender it to you. I just want to take a moment. I know we're short on time. Forgive me. But I want to open the altar this morning. If God's speaking to you and you need a place to pray, there's nothing magical about these altars, but they're a sure good place to pray. Act of bowing your knee and saying to God, Lord, everything, everything I have is yours. Anybody this morning?
Lord, help us to surrender it all to you. Lord, help us to love. Help us to do justice. Help us to love wholeheartedly mercy. Lord, I believe all of that begins with walking, walking humbly with you. So Lord, in a moment, we're going to leave this place and we've been reminded by this candle that you are here today. But Holy Spirit, don't stay in this place. Go with us. Make us your children. Follow us. Actually, Lord, lead us. So that every day and every step and every word and every action would be ordered by you, God. May we today follow you. And Lord, as we do, teach us, Lord, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.